Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University. I want to welcome you to the show this week. Uh, we are right here on KTRL 90.5 each Sunday at noon. And you can hear us broadcast on, on the radio as well as online on, at tarletonradio.com. And of course, we have a podcast which goes to SoundCloud after the show has been recorded. And on SoundCloud, that's On Politics with Eric Morrow. So we're glad you're with us this week. It is uh, the weekend of the 4th of July. And believe it or not, uh, this uh, connects uh, very much with our show and with its premise, its focus and format. Uh, in looking at the politics of various issues and things. And, and you may wonder why politics in the 4th of July, something that might seem to be uh, a holiday and observance that should be unpoliticized. Uh, but uh, as we will see with our guests today, this is, is not the case and has not been the case really from the beginning. And looking back at some of uh, how this holiday was used, observed, uh, and what its significance is, uh, even to today in terms of our body politic. So I want to welcome to the show today Dr. David Waldstreicher, who is the Distinguished Professor of History at the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. Uh, he is a historian of early and 19th century America with particular interest in political history, cultural history, slavery and anti-slavery, and print culture. He's author of a number of books. Uh, uh, he's one of them, most recent, Slavery's Constitution, From Revolution to Ratification, and Runaway America, Benjamin Franklin, Slavery and the American Revolution. Uh, before coming to the Graduate Center, he taught at Temple University, University of Notre Dame, Yale University, and Bennington College. Uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Waldschreicher. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, what, what led me to reach out to you for an interview was your article in The Atlantic in 2019 looking just at this, the politics of the 4th of July. And so I think the initial question here is that you present uh, some uh, historical information looking back at the observance of this day uh, that, uh, as you say, many people are not familiar with, to see that it actually began within a, a tremendous amount of political activity and, and issues that were going on uh, early in the nation. Uh, give some of the background, some of the interesting facets of that to show how uh, this day was very political from the beginning. Well, I guess the best place to start is really where the holiday came from. The Fourth of July was an adaptation of a whole range of holiday celebrations in the British Empire, uh, particularly the King's birthday, sometimes the Queen's birthday, that English and other British people used uh, often to express approval or disapproval as well uh, as well as to, uh, of what was going on in the larger polity as well as to uh, celebrate their belonging uh, in the, in the in the larger nation and their uh, fealty to and respect for the monarchy so uh, birthday celebrations had the benefit of being like uh, like church celebrations being annual being regular and you could plan for them these celebrations had different aspects to them. One of them, uh, most memorably perhaps, was bell ringings. Sometimes there were sermons. Sometimes there were processions or parades. And some of these aspects were open to using them to make political statements that might be associated with various things that the king or the administration were doing which could be positive in the sense of approving them, or negative. And this could be very subtle. It could be very, um, it could not be, it didn't have to be center stage, but to be understood by various people. Now, I'm not saying that it was, that this was always what was on most people's minds or the most important or prominent aspects of these celebrations. But at times when matters became controversial, or when things the king did or had done were controversial as they often were in the 17th and 18th century and this was a, a, a time and place where kings were uh, deposed kings were um, uh, associated with various factions within parliament uh, uh, and um, 
this uh, these holidays were available ways for people to ex express their political sentiments uh, without getting in too much trouble for doing mm -hmm. so. Uh, um, uh, it was hard to, uh, though it did happen, accuse someone of libel uh, or of treason for something they said uh, that didn't even appear that didn't even appear in print. Uh, so this was this was the background, and colonists used these celebrations. Uh, observe these celebrations as a way of, of connecting to uh, politics that was larger than that in their in their local town or county or even even their province in a place like like Massachusetts or Virginia or South Carolina. So there was this. Uh, so when the Patriot movement got going, there was the, there was this available tradition to use the commemorations in order to make political sentiments and often to demonstrate loyalty to the king and loyalty to Britain while, say, criticizing the taxes that were the issue at the same time. So you start to see things like celebrations of the repeal of the Stamp Act or using the king's birthday to say, um, we're equal Britons, we love the king, but the king's evil ministers are not so great and we, want, uh, we hope the king will get rid of them. So all this led to, uh, was part of the process of building the Patriot Movement and the opposition to it uh, in the 1760s and early 1770s, and then culminated in these rituals uh, at the time of the Declaration of Independence of, of um, undoing the king's birthday and creating the nation's birthday. So that, uh, in a way, the, the, uh, it was all about bringing everyone together and creating a nation, but it was also, uh, uh, everyone understood, ripe for commentary on what was good and what was maybe not so good about what was going on politically and militarily. So you had, you had, these, these, um, you had these rituals, I call them celebratory rituals, uh, but they're also sometimes anti-celebratory rituals that were important in build, in creating the nation and in the success of the patriot movement uh, during the during the revolutionary war and beyond and they were very much available uh, um, in the creation of political processes and uh, the, in as as things move forward I'll, I'll stop there and maybe we'll talk sure, sure. Uh, and well and, and one of the things you point out in your article you have some examples from different parts or different colonies and and i think one of the areas here that maybe a lot of people are not as familiar with or don't think about is how diverse that group of colonies was the different cultures that were there and the attempt to try to bring them together to bring people together uh, around as you say the patriot movement and the, and the focus on independence uh, do you have some examples of that that kind of diversity that would that was that kind of challenging context in which uh, not only was this celebration or, or this looked at in different ways and how what people would do, but just in, in presents the challenges of bringing such a diverse group of people spread out over thousands of miles together. Right. Uh, the, the, uh, early early on, there are there are subtle differences in choices about about what to celebrate and what to emphasize. You see. Um, more um, in some places, uh, more more of an emphasis on on local political heroes and leaders. Uh, so that was one way in which one could be local and national at the same at the same time. Uh, sometimes there are differences about how much to invoke providence or God, uh, how much how much um, space or importance to give to the religious figures who might be giving a sermon, whether whether to um, whether to march from the from the church in, in, in some in some colonies there's a there's a there's a state church and in others there aren't so these are these are things that were uh, part of the the issues at the time and I the, one of the things I, I emphasize very much in the book I wrote about this tw almost 25 years ago now and and um, and in in the Atlantic piece was that uh, we, we often say that, oh, well, the people couldn't imagine the nation in the 18th century. It was so far away, and they didn't have the communications and transportation possibilities to be able to do that. So there was no real sense of a, of a nation. And what's, what's a bit off, uh, off or misleading about that is the sense that there's some absolute choice between being uh, having a deep sense of, of, of uh, commitment and belonging to, say, a, uh, a, home, a home country, a province, a state uh, later, 
and the nation. The the real the really remarkable thing was that the way that that uh, British people and and Americans found ways to make them work together, and sometimes in counterpoint, if there were differences, if there was a sense that there's a that we're politically different, maybe we're the majority here at home, but maybe we're not the majority in the empire or in the nation, uh, you can use those two things against each other in this in these open-ended celebrations that have that have many built-in ways of commenting on these issues. One were these sermons and speeches. Another were these toasts at these uh, uh, dinners that were held afterwards that were that were very public. So there was this tradition of toasting the king and, and then later toast George Washington. You toast the local leaders, you toast the governor, and then you say something that would be uh, a comment on the issues of the day. And these things were written out in advance uh, and, 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 and really developed so that they could be published in newspapers and then they're picked up later and this is this is really how this becomes quite quite popular because uh, uh, people start to do it with an eye toward having readers that are not only uh, in the local newspaper but they get reprinted and so by the time you get to the 1790s or when things are controversial you'll see uh, in these four or six or eight page newspapers you might see a whole page full of the toasts from the fourth of july from various towns and counties and when things get partisan, it's 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 sort of like oh like okay we'll we'll reprint ours and maybe we'll say something critical about this one that happened. Can you believe what they said over there in the in the next county about uh, about the president or about the governor or about the, the 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 issues of the day? And so they become a way and and it's and they're also another another thing is that they're in July, so um, July is not only a time when people are are maybe. Uh, uh, are, are uh, able to be outside and participate in a, in a celebration. It's also when they start to have fall local elections around the time that people start gearing up for them. Mm. So uh, th this is at a time when elections are often uh, in the spring and in the fall. So it's a kind of, it's really a, a right in the middle of a political season uh, where um, uh, there, there are a lot of opportunities for um, trying to tweak things and trying to bring people into the process. And, and this was part of a democratizing process by which uh, one might say that elites brought in potential voters. Another way we might say uh, that's in more in the, 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 the British tradition, perhaps, where most, where most even men didn't, often didn't vote, was this was a way for pop, public opinion to be demonstrated outside of elections and for a certain regulation of the actions of government officials and the results of the elections to be to be pursued so that, okay, well, these people were elected, but now there's this issue that is going to be an issue in the next election or might actually be acted on. How can we demonstrate that most of the people think that it's, that, um, that uh, the French, that uh, we should maybe we should rethink the French alliance after the, in the, in the wake of the Jay Treaty? Well, get a crowd of people out to, to uh, um, celebrate the 4th of July and and cheer on this speech that's anti-France or pro-France. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it seems all, all, that it it almost in, in setting it up in the context you do about elections, which become very are very political events. That that this Fourth of July became kind of that that focal point of politics of what or or was used in that way. I mean, you you talk about it being used to help. Uh, further ideas about an American identity or what that identity should be. Uh, do you see it as that as as really those two coming together? This intense focus on on politics and people engaged in politics and people uh, thinking about uh, you know elections and 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 uh, policy and so on. Uh, but then also what what that means as as you pointed out in in your work an american identity uh and 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 how that is because part of that moves beyond just kind of a generic identity to uh maybe something partisan what people think you should be right as as an american this this is the part of it that i i that is is subtle and complicated and i don't often get to to talk about and but i'm glad you're 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 pressing me on it because uh we there's there's a reason why we have trouble seeing partisanship as something that should go on on the Fourth of July or even something that's truly American, and in our in in our current uh, uh, debates about how to get beyond um, extremism or excessive partisanship, there's a there's there seems to be a, we're ambivalent about whether political participation is the problem or the solution. This way that that American politics evolved meant that. 
people were pursuing both partisanship and a kind of anti-partisan nationalism that would mm. create a majority and bring everybody together and overcome those regional and religious and other and cultural differences. They were doing both those things at the same time. So one of the ways you would try to sort of take the edge off something that might seem partisan or might seem divisive is to try to is to associate it with the nation, associate it with patriotism, associate it with the with the 4th of July. But you could be called on that. Somebody could say, well, you're, what you're doing is not legitimate. That's not really uh, what the American Revolution was about. That's not really nonpartisan. That's really political in the, in the bad way, in the partisan way. So that there's this push and pull always going on, where, as you can imagine, politicians are trying to find the center. They're trying to find the thing that's really patriotic, that will really resonate with people as 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 patriotic and American, but but events change. There are winners and losers. It's a moving target, and politicians become these artful mediators of this this relationship between nationalism and partisanship. That uh, I think is really at the center of this tradition. I, I I've, I've tried out different ways of of express. I've called it partisan nonpartisanship. I've tried. I've, I've called it. I've. I've um, but what what I really have wanted, what I most wanted to do, is to get people to see that we have an ambivalence about nationalism. That's rational. It's rational because at the same time we know that we are a nation and that we there, the nation was created, and that that is part of our legacy. We also know that there are problems. That that there are ways in which na in which nationalism is a, a smokescreen that covers covers over differences. It doesn't help us pursue. Uh, even in a, especially in a system that is set up to be a majoritarian system, there's a tendency for two-sided battles to be created if they don't already exist, in order to get things done, in order to win, uh, or, or in order people do it honestly, in order to uh, even as part of their na their sense of uh, of a choice needs to be made about the way the nation needs to be. So it's not an it's not really an opposition, but we tend to think of it as an opposition, and most of all we pursue nationalism as an alternative to partisanship even as we are doing it in a partisan way so we're always so and i think i what i i guess the best example would be that the way that 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 presidents are kind of become kind of the high priests of of saying we need to overcome partisanship but but to the other party it seems like they're in very in doing so they're engaging in a kind of partisan game and it's very much in the eye of the beholder whether one sees for example trump as uh, the epitome of of what the nation is, or is a betrayal of it, and now um, now the current president um, is uh, is is uh, is perceived uh, in the same way, and that then that we don't have to get into who the real who one who one thinks the real is to to recognize that that dynamic is an essential part of our politics from from the beginning, and I would argue so much that it creates and recreates the nation, even as we're constantly saying, oh my God, what has happened, how much we've fallen from the great tradition of the founding fathers who gave us this, this system that's so paradoxical, that is intensely nationalistic and intensely partisan at the same time. Well, so in terms of that development of the holiday, when... When do we see, or do we see, a transition that tries to make it more uh, generic, at least in terms of its impact on the on the culture as a, a whole? Because you talk about it being used in, at different times to focus on protest, on specific policy issues. You, you, you mentioned in the article slavery, uh, and and so the fourth becomes this this point of either protest or advocacy uh, to push back against uh, uh, certain things. Um, and, and thus, you know, when we come to the present, you're, you're referring to some of that where uh, if there's if it becomes partisan in some way, uh, then the, the, the side that doesn't like what's being done uh, references this. Right. This, this is July 4th. It shouldn't be politicized. You know what? Are, what and, and we know that goes back and forth and we may can focus on that more in a moment. But I'm just wondering, if, was there some transition over time or at what, at a certain era or how does does this develop to become to have that idea so prominent that July 4th should be this you know, holiday for all. We're all Americans. We're so forth. But uh, even though we know that's not accurate in terms of what it what it what it is. That, that's a that's a that's a great that's a great question. And um, being being a specialist, I never had to I never attempted to completely tell the story about how the how it evolved in the 19th and, and 20th century. I've been more struck by the continuities in the ways that it could always be uh, 
repoliticized and used by both conservatives and liberals or and or radicals of, var of various stripes that it's that it's this available that it's this available tradition and available set of, of rituals and that it can be that it can be used both to um, it can be used to exclude as well as to in to include there does seem to have been in the um, late 19th and early 20th century uh, uh, where um, as with uh, voting generally, there was a sense that maybe maybe this is out of control. Maybe too many people are participating. Maybe um, uh, this is that. Um, and uh, there was a campaign in the 18 beginning in the I think it was early 1880s for what they called a safe and sane Fourth of July, because there was you know too many firecrackers, too much potential disorder, and this was related to larger social developments where cities were becoming big and bigger and less easy to govern places and um, that uh, I think that there, there was less less confidence on the part of leaders in communities and perhaps especially in bigger towns and cities that they could uh, that 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 they that they could um, be sure what would happen uh, uh, and and uh, control what was going on on the Fourth of July, and so uh, the it became it it became in many ways at least the celebration itself became uh, there was a, a desire to make it to tone down the political and partisan parts of it and make it more of a civic a civic education kind of thing, and this this may have also uh, connected to concerns about immigration. And um, that, uh, that 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 um, so uh, and you started to see um, you started to see less less of a central thing and more of a divided thing. Though though some might might one though one might if one looked at the period before the Civil War, one might uh, see a tendency for um, uh, for more for for an even more diverse range of separate celebrations and less kind of fewer events that, that where everybody could, could participate. So the abolitionists are doing their thing right. and maybe uh, 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 different religious groups, different ethnic groups are doing are doing their thing. Uh, it's always easier to see what's going on in bigger places. Right. And that's why that's why I'm always glad to see when people are studying what how these things were used on the local on the local level because I think sure. there's a wide variation that depends on what different communities were like and and, and whether um, what what made sense to people and and um, like anything else uh, like the politics on the local level, um, a lot depended on on uh, what the communities were like and and. And how uh, how how things were done, and how it related to other to other institutions. Well, you, we you know that as you said, at least we can look in the in contemporary times, and that that idea has been reinforced, and so then it continues to be perpetuated of of what people think July Fourth should be, and then in reality, and you're talking about uh, partisanship there early on, and and we know that that exists. We can. We can see that that it's not just an impact of of way our body politic is now, and and how uh, people are you know lining up behind different uh, candidates or ideologies or, or political parties. Um, what what I think my, that leads to the question, and uh, you know, in my field in political science, we of course look at this. Uh, uh, we often need some distance, not as much as historians do, maybe sometimes in looking at at some of these contemporary issues. Um, but in in the mix that you see today, compared to what it was in the late 1700s, uh, does it see seem to be this this that that that's healthy in terms of that engagement with it to actually encourage those debates about? critical issues and, and what we think an American identity is. I mean, we seem to have some confusion about a lot of those things, which uh, I'm sure existed in some way then. Uh, but uh, is this, uh, should this be recognized for what it is, right? To say that, okay, this is a, a partisan holiday or it is a holiday that kind of brings a focus on some of these issues that we're not really giving attention to with this call to say, well, it should be unpoliticized. It should just be uh, about celebrating the unity and the shared identity we have. Uh, I I th I, th I think that there's um. What I've been struck by since I uh, started writing about this in the '90s 
uh, is that a lot of a lot of what I was describing in the way that Fourth of July becomes um, controversial for being uh, potentially politicized uh, um, seems to happen in in seems to happen again and again now in the media rather than uh, maybe what's going on in the, in the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, what I saw in the early republic was a dynamic relationship between what was going on locally in the streets, in, in, in actual people observing these rituals and uh, these speeches and the toasts and everything and everything like that. And then how they were reported in local newspapers, which would also report things that were going on extra locally. And this process would play out over the next week or two. And so that there was a kind of a kind of back and forth between what people actually did and then the commentary about it. And uh, what I what I thought was I thought this is really interesting as a I thought this is really interesting the way the medium seems to seem to encourage people to connect the local and the national and participate in politics. I think that one would have to think of it differently uh, in terms of the way people actually participate in politics now, mm -hmm. and um, it's both similar and different. Right. And uh, what do we what do we make of of these kind of um, spectacular interventions, like like uh, President Trump and and the governor of South Dakota going to Mount Rushmore for those for an event and those photo ops last year, or the the, the and the the, the um, uh, and what what how is uh, what difference does that the, the, if he's doing something any different, or that or the, that he the the thing that spurred my Atlantic article two years ago was that was that the president wanted to have this. Um, uh, major military parade in Washington. Right. And then there was a lot of then there was a lot of criticism about that. So it was like, so it was really about how would the Fourth of July be observed? What's really the American way of doing it? Um, is this a kind of uh, is this uh, is this as as uh, supporters of the president some supporters of the president wanted to say it's about time we did more stuff like this? Or on the other hand, was this a uh, a move toward a uh, something that really wasn't so American and wasn't so much in the tradition and was an attempt to to sort of to bo to um, present a certain image that that really maybe wasn't as traditional as it was cracked up to be. So um, uh, I, I I think that um, one would have to really think of it in terms of what's the relationship between these kind of spectacles and the 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 way the news of the day functions in the in in in, in after television after Twitter after and 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 all that stuff um, in relation to what people actually how people how people actually observe a holiday today and what a what what a holiday sure. and what other holidays um, have come to mean I mean the the the, the part of the, the part of the context for the Fourth of July today is that we have we have a, a nation state that had that continues to accrue holidays and holidays mean days off from work mm -hmm. and they mean which means family rather than civic engagement so uh, the fourth of so if in the if in the calendar that I'm talking about the fourth of July means something in the context of the short-lived partisan celebrations of say Jefferson's inauguration or uh, something or so, that was celebrated for some years or Washington's birthday which was more partisan uh, while the, when when Washington's party the Federalists were a party uh, if, if that if the fourth of July had a particular meaning in relation to them now the fourth of July uh, um, is logically understood as one of a bunch of federal holidays like uh, okay how political is columbus day or right. you know you know and like you know so right. uh and that that calendar is that calendar does change and it is political but um i mean look like now now we have uh, uh i remember when martin luther king day a lot of people refused to celebrate it and right. it took a long time to get it through congress now that's depoliticized and now we have now we have a juneteenth that republicans are willing to we're willing to go along with but can that really be depoliticized i it's, it, that that would be the kind of the kind of question like what is what is the fourth of july well, there was some interesting commentary uh, with juneteenth coming so close to the fourth of july sure. some people right. were saying oh well this is the black fourth of july 
And uh, I said, oh, yes, but no, wait a minute. Right. You know, like, right. wait a minute. Uh, it's like uh, the, the, uh, the abolitionists weren't willing to give up on the 4th of July, really. Should, should Black Lives Matter give up on the 4th of July and embrace Juneteenth or those of us who, who are sympathetic? Should we really? Is that really the way to go? Maybe that's, maybe there's a reason why they're giving them. Maybe they, maybe they want the 4th of July to be white. You know, right. like, like right. This is, these, are, these, are the, these are the kind of debates I see that are going to come up next, next sure. summer. Right. Well, and, and you mentioned about the local aspects of it that if you look at local celebrations in many places across the country it's a parade people put their flags out there might be you know other uh, fireworks events and things like that but that that element of political debate of of you know partisanship at least on the on the local level and 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 that's uh, addressed by well you can attend or you don't have to attend you can put your flag out you don't have to put your flag out i mean it, it's not it, it even here in texas which uh, uh was very different I, I lived in boston for three years and worked in manhattan for four and uh i understand what you're saying about the holidays you come here to texas and there's a lot of those uh, holidays that are are observed at the at the state and local level that that are not here uh, that we don't have you know a Patriots Day like uh, you know we, uh, there's other holidays but they're not really days off and so I uh, understand that dynamic too and how people have come to perceive these as being a three day weekend uh, time with family uh, it it is a different a different atmosphere maybe that has puts the focus then I I, I think on some more of the national elements of this and, and maybe the discussion about identity. I, I know you you touch on that in your article and looking at how uh, this holiday uh, had different, uh, incorporated different views of American identity uh, and, and what that should be. Uh, and and uh, as a final question in, in terms of that, the focus of that article and, and some of your work, uh, do you still see that today? I mean, is, is, is that now, and like you were saying, the other holidays, have we kind of disconnected that more from July 4th, and now we may have these debates over other observances that may be a reflection of our diversity, but may also uh, hit up against what it means to be an American, or, or at least what pe different people perceive that, that the identity is. Right, well, what, the, one of the things we always need to, need to remember is that, um, is that the, co the, country, the country kept kept getting bigger and keeps getting bigger in terms of the number of number of people so that it's more it's more um, it's harder to, to uh, have any kind of uh, any kind of a real uniformity but um, if we think of the tradition as being participating in the conversation uh, about where the country is going uh, and and what the 4th of July might mean and how it's been used then then we might um, uh, it's it's easier to see the debate about say things like monuments and and holidays to be part of the part of the process that that, that has that has continually unfolded that is that is that has always been political in the larger in the larger sense and um, I, I uh, it's my my own uh, my my own interest in it comes from my attraction my simultaneous attraction and repulsion to that uh, mm -hmm. to that to that dynamic as a um, uh, and there's, um, I think it's, I think it's a renewable resource. That's, that's, that's how I see it. And I'm, what I, what I've seen, my, my bias perhaps is to focus on those moments where, where it, it continues to be, to be, to be renewed and used, even though there, even though we have a hundred years of laments about how either, oh, nobody's celebrating it or they're celebrating it the wrong way, or it's, it's only, it's only about consumption. It's only about, about barbecuing or, or, um, or, to, or time off, um, uh, though I mean you could even, for example, like well the thing about time off since you uh, since you responded you responded to that I'll I'll just observe one one other holiday anecdote is that is that is that Labor Day for example was simultaneously a response to to the labor movement which had always which had advocated for so long for for a shorter shorter day shorter work week right uh, and that, that was a major demand for unions though maybe not as much. Uh, today, um, uh, and so what could be more correct? What could be more of a victory for the labor movement than giving everybody a day off, right? Uh, uh, but uh, at the at the at the same time, uh, that was um, that was also a uh, a depoliticizing thing. So everybody celebrates Labor Day is not the labor movement's thing, but rather everybody's thing, and it becomes a kind of another another generic holiday rather than. 
what it was originally was was an argument that that workers need to be protected or that they need to have political power, right? So, um, so that uh, uh, um, so that's that's a double that's a double edged thing. You could say that Labor Day was is part of the story of the quiescence of the labor movement and how it's not as, why it's not as big a deal as it was when more people were factory workers or more people were uh, uh, were organized in, in, in unions. So uh, it's it's similar it's similar with uh, with the fourth of, with the fourth of July it it, um, it may have meant more when when it may have meant more when fewer people were were citizens and more people were uh, trying to have political power that they weren't sure they were going to be able to get or keep. Uh, on the other hand, at a time when when uh, maybe who who really who really is a citizen. Uh, is, is controversial. Maybe it will be uh, more attention will be paid about about what is who really um, who really counts or who really uh, uh, is, is has the privilege of waving the flag or claiming to be American or who can or I think most centrally is able to make the argument that that that, that the politics that they are pursuing is in the tradition of the American Revolution or the, or the Founding Fathers. That's what's really at stake on the 4th of July. That's what we really uh, are always coming back to. And one of the weird things about, like, and I, I my own sense uh, in recent years was that that just continued to increase, actually, though it seemed to be more the domain of the right in recent, in, in recent years. But then a strange thing happened in the last couple of years because the president was, like, not actually that... He was good at communicating a lot of things, but actually not that good at about talking about the American Revolution or mm -hmm. the founding fathers because he hadn't been he not I, I mean I could say oh well he was ignorant of history. Actually, it was more because he hadn't been a politician. He hadn't right. done it every right. fourth of July for decades. He's perfectly able at, at like creating and developing memes and rhetoric. He's brilliant at he was yeah, he right. is and was brilliant at it. But he didn't have but that wasn't the thing he was he had he had practiced and he and he really uh, had trouble. Uh, uh, doing that, so uh, so we're in an odd moment mm -hmm. where uh, it actually there's a little bit of a vacuum around the Fourth of July and around uh, doing the founding fathers thing or, or talking about the American Revolution because we've had we had we've had so much talk about uh, make America great again, but not that much about what the how that relates to the nation's origins in in the last couple of years. Well, that that's excellent. I, I very much appreciate your analysis. This was great to be able to go in depth and look at this based on your, your work and research. We've been talking today with Dr. David Waldstreicher, who is the Distinguished Professor of History at the Graduate Center, City University of New York. Thank you for your time and your insight on this, which I, I think it's just a fascinating topic that we, we need to engage with uh, every time this holiday comes around uh, in knowing our history. So... Thank you for joining. Right, thank, thank you, thank you, and uh, you're my hero, a dean with a radio show. Uh, yeah, well, this is great. This yeah. is the future. Well, it, it, we we've had some great interviews, and we try to uh, engage people within our region here with with much more in-depth information. I love these in-depth interviews too, and and we're we're gaining a following here. So I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back from with more on politics. Tea for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsey Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and that was just a spectacular interview in terms of the substance of uh, the issue looking at the politics of the 4th of July with uh, Dr. David Waldstreicher, and we were glad that he was able to join us uh, today and, and to just be able to engage in that, something that many of us may have not have thought about in looking back at the history of this holiday and, and what it has meant in this country uh, through all that time, but also uh, currently today, uh, what uh, what thoughts should we have about it? How do we understand it? How do we look at this in terms of understanding uh, American identity, diversity in the country, and of course, as the focus of the holiday politics uh, and our engagement there. In the last part of the show here today, I want to turn to a couple of other issues just very quickly and things that we see either developing or coming up uh, in the months ahead. 
And one of the things that happens regularly uh, every two years after the state legislature meets is the uh, voting in November on constitutional amendments. So every other year, uh, this is an off-year election because we are not electing statewide offices. We're not electing uh, federal offices. We are electing, uh, we are not electing, I'm sorry, we are doing ballot measures that are proposed changes to the Texas Constitution. So that happens in odd years, 21, 22, of course, will be another election year that'll be statewide elections, uh, but in uh, elections for the U.S. Congress. But these constitutional amendment elections are very interesting in, the, in what's been set up by our Constitution uh, from the 1870s to amend uh, the document itself. And so we've been using this process uh, since that time, and it's always looked at in a very unique way, one, because of the, the when it happens and the fact that turnout is often very low for these constitutional amendment elections. The other part, as we've looked at in previous shows, it puts a significant amount of attention on how we used the Constitution in the state to govern. And so there are a lot of facets uh, or elements of statutory law, we would say, that are in the state constitution. And this was the design of those framers in the 1870s post-Reconstruction when they said, we're going to put everything in the constitution and then we're going to make it difficult to change that document. So it would have to go through the legislature and then go to uh, a statewide vote of, of the people. Uh, we do not have a referendum or, or initiative uh, process in Texas at the state level. And so this is really the only way in which people of the state, based on the recommendation of the legislature, uh, can amend the Constitution. And so at the moment, uh, not counting the special sessions that are going to be held in the months ahead, one being called by Governor Abbott in the last few weeks that will happen this summer, and then possibly another one in the fall that will look at redistricting uh, as the census results are available, and thus we look at drawing the maps for the state legislature as well as for the Texas representation in the U.S. Congress. Uh, so that aside, we have eight current amendments that are on the ballot, and I wanted to just run through these quickly. One is just to give you awareness uh, to know that you, you need to know we will have an election in November, that these, uh, uh, these uh, items will be on the ballot, and it's a great time as you have time to engage with them. There's several websites. I'll post these uh, on the Facebook page that's on politics with Eric Morrow, so that if you want to look more in depth at these proposed amendments, uh, you can do so, because they range from a variety, wide variety of issues, from religion uh, to bond issues to gambling in Texas uh, to the state judiciary. And just quickly kind of looking at these and just giving some basic information so that you can know what's being proposed, uh, one of them dealing with religion amends the Constitution in Texas to prohibit the state or any political subdivision from enacting a law, rule, order, or proclamation that limits religious services or organizations. So this comes directly out of the pandemic when uh, churches and religious organizations were included in executive orders of the governor uh, to close, uh, and that also local orders were issued in order to prevent people from congregating, given the way that the virus was spread. And so one popular amendment here that has come out of this debate over whether government can have that authority, uh, even for public health reasons, we have this amendment on the ballot uh, that will be reviewed by voters uh, in November. So that is prohibiting the state or any political subdivision, so that would mean county or even city, from enacting a law, rule, or order that limits religious services or organizations. A uh, couple of other ones that are on relate to the state judiciary, and we'll get into more details on these. We will have a uh, show in the near future on our state judiciary and looking at some of the challenging issues that are there in addition to these amendments. Uh, one changes the eligibility for certain judicial offices, uh, those for Office uh, uh, Justice of the Supreme Court, Judge of the Court of Criminal Appeals, a Justice of the Court of Appeals, and a District Judge. So there are, there are changes to uh, those eligibility 
requirements. And then there's also one that authorizes the Texas State Commission on Judicial Conduct to accept and investigate complaints and reports against candidates running for state judicial office, not just those who are currently in office. Another one is focused on gambling. It authorizes professional sports teams, charitable organizations to conduct raffles at rodeo events. Now, you may go, wow, why is that a constitutional amendment? And this is great. This is, this is one of the ones that I've talked about for a number of years in my Texas government classes as an example of how we use the Constitution and have uh, for well over uh, well, almost a century and a half uh, to, to govern the minutia of the state. Right. There's so much in our Constitution that it continues to grow. It's the second longest Constitution currently in the United States at, at um, uh, well over between 100 and 200,000 words. Remember, the U.S. Constitution is only 6,500 words. The Texas Constitution covers such a wide range of issues. And so in order to change how government addresses those issues, if it's in the Constitution, it has to go through this process. So gambling uh, is something that is addressed in the Constitution. And here to, in order, and, and look at the minutia here, to authorize professional sports team charitable organizations, okay, those aligned with these professional teams that then raise money for foundations and so forth, to conduct raffles at rodeo events. Okay, that is governed by the Constitution of the state of Texas. So this is one of those that we use as a basis for calling for constitutional reform, right? We have too many of these things that are statutory law that are intertwined within the Constitution. And I'm sure that most people who will be looking at this or will go to vote in November uh, have no idea uh, about uh, charitable organizations not being able to conduct raffles at rodeo events. I mean, that doesn't seem to be a pressing problem here where, where, where we are and throughout the state, I would think most people, it's not even on their radar. But again, it gives you an example of some of the challenges that we have in the state in governing with our current constitution. Uh, another one, just to give a, a little more attention here, authorizes counties to issue bonds to fund infrastructure and transportation projects in undeveloped and blighted areas. Okay, so trying to free up county authority uh, fiscal authority to be able to fund a certain needed projects, probably most likely focused here on economic development uh, and maybe also uh, residential development as well. So those are a few of the, the initiatives. We'll have more on these as we move through the summer and into the fall with looking at the November election and discussing some of these issues and how they came about how they made it through the legislative process, and what we're being asked to do as uh, voters in the state of Texas in terms of reviewing these particular changes. Uh, one other issue that I want to get to today to just bring uh, back, come back around is something that's been on the news significantly uh, over the past uh, six months or so, uh, and even longer than that if we go back to the Trump administration and now into the Biden administration, uh, and that is some of the wrangling that's been going on, the things that have been said and so forth back and forth uh, regarding the border wall. And as we know, the governor of Texas, Governor Greg Abbott, has come out uh, repeatedly in stating certain things about uh, border security, uh, even recently uh, saying that Texas would put resources into continuing the building of the border wall, which was stopped uh, by the Biden administration on his first day in office. Of course, just in the past week, Governor Abbott was at the border with former President Donald Trump uh, in looking at these issues and trying to bring attention uh, to them. And so there's currently a very strong political debate going on back and forth uh, between what are the problems. And I would encourage you to go back and look at one of our episodes that we had with Dr. Tony Payan from Rice University and talking about the data and the, the critical issues related to the border. Uh, one of the things that's happening here in Texas is the debate back and forth between the governor who is saying that these high numbers of illegal immigrants, uh, of apprehensions, which is where the focus is, and of course those numbers of apprehensions have increased significantly uh, in the past six months. Uh, the trafficking of fentanyl across the border, uh, uh, 
in terms of drug trafficking and how that has increased. Uh, so some are, are pushing back against that now, saying, well, the number of apprehensions has increased because the security at the border has increased. Uh, but also what's not being taken into account is that some are saying as much as 40% of the people apprehended are people who are, have tried to get across before and are trying again. Uh, there are repeat uh, migrants who are just coming back and trying to get back into the U.S. And of course, a lot of this has changed. I mean, the push of migrants has increased after decreasing some during the latter part of Donald Trump's administration, uh, especially with the, the order that uh, prevented migrants from entering under COVID restrictions. Uh, that has been continued under the Biden administration, uh, but many migrants have continued to push and attempt to cross the border, and, and many have been apprehended uh, because of the, the, the idea that with this change of presidential administration, uh, the opportunity to enter the United States might be more possible than it was under the previous president. So all of this is, is going on. We'll continue to track it and look at it and talk about some of the dynamics and issues that are happening. But I encourage you to do more reading, to look at uh, the, the news sources that are out there, but to know the, the complexity of these issues. There's so many facets to them, especially when talking about immigration and border security in Texas, that it's important to know how this is developed, what are some of the critical issues, and what different people are saying in terms of analyzing what is actually happening uh, on the ground. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of On Politics. Remember to like us. That's On Politics with Eric Morrow on Facebook where I do post related articles and previews of the shows, as well as links to SoundCloud, where you can go back and listen to our previous episodes. Thank you for joining us today on 90.5 KTRL. Carlton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Brianna Blanks. Find more great shows by searching Carlton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.